There's a phrase, it's a question that's asked twice in this story, and the question is, woman, why are you crying? Why are you crying? People say a lot of dumb things at funerals. With all due respect, this one's got to be right up towards the top. We're in a cemetery. And you want to know why I'm crying? Well, Jesus, that's what people do here. Underneath every one of those stones is a story, not a body. It's a story of somebody who had a life full of hope, and it ended, either suddenly or ultimately, but it ended, and the story stops here. And with all due respect, that's a dumb question. Then the thought occurred to me that Jesus, being God, knows everything. He's always the smartest guy in the room. He asks more than 200 questions in all four Gospels. And he knows the answer to all 200 before he asks them. So maybe Jesus never asks you a question in order to get the answer. Maybe he knows the answer. Maybe he asks the question so that you'll know the answer. Maybe by asking the question, he'll get you to say it. And when you say it, you'll know what's inside of you. Woman, why are you crying? All four Gospels tell us that the resurrection was the last and famous final scene. All four Gospels agree that it happened the first day of the week, that it happened early in the morning, that the first witnesses were all women. That's a point, by the way, you would not make in the first century if you were trying to prove anything. A woman's witness was invalid. Yet all four Gospels insist that it was the women, not the men, who were the first messengers. All four Gospels tell us that the stone was in fact moved, the body was in fact gone, the disciples came later, and that their emotions ranged all the way from joy and amazement to just shock and silence. But after that point, the Gospels are very different in how they tell this story. Matthew tells us the focus was the soldiers, it was the government, it was the chief priests. They were conspiring to keep the story silent. Mark tells us the story was the women. The men are nowhere present in Mark's first account. Mark just says the way that it ended is in the middle of a sentence. Literally, the Gospel of Mark ends with the word for, <laughs> gar in Greek. He just said that the women fled in terror and amazement and they never said anything to anyone for. That's it. And you're reading this going, for what? And later, someone said they were afraid. <laughs> they never said anyone, anything to anyone for they were afraid. Luke says the whole story evolved around disciples on the way to Emmaus. They were visited by someone they did not recognize, turned out being Jesus, and in a process of conversations with them, their eyes were opened, and they realized the one they were looking at all the time was Jesus, and they never knew it. It's John who tells us details. 
John was written later than the other Gospels, we think. And so for John, the story doesn't end with the resurrection. It ends a chapter later, after the resurrection. John keeps wanting us to see the effect of the resurrection, the impact that it makes on all of creation. Eugene Peterson says, Matthew, Mark, and Luke write like kayakers. They're just flying down the river with occasional patches of white water. They'll stop and tell a story real quick, but they got to move on. They always go exactly where the story goes, but not John. He says, John is more like a guy in a canoe on a really calm lake looking at the rock formations and the, the sketches of cloud reflecting in the top of the water, pointing out details that other writers don't point out. Here's one that John catches, nobody else caught. When Mary turned around, she saw Jesus but did not recognize him. Thinking he was the gardener. She thought he was the gardener. Nobody else catches that. So I circle it in my mind. Why on earth would Mary think he was the gardener? A soldier? Maybe. Someone works for the government, works with the chief priests? Possibly. But a gardener? That seems to come out of nowhere. But in fact, John is the only one who tells us that when Jesus was buried, he was buried in a garden. Listen to it. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. In my mind, I start to wonder if this garden might explain why Jesus asks that abrupt question, why are you crying? According to the Bible, life started in the garden. Genesis says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, ex nihilo, out of nothing. There was nothing there and he literally spoke life into existence. He created the land and the water, filled them with creatures, and then he created a human being, went down and pulled the dirt together, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Noticed that the man was alone and said, this isn't good. <laughs> I'll make somebody else. Put him asleep, pulled into his rib, pulled one out and made a woman. Brought her to the man. He said, that is good. That is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. Genesis 2 says that after God created all of these things, there was no shrub and there was no plant anywhere to be found. And the reason is because God had not yet sent rain and he'd never made anybody to take care of the plants in the shrubs. So Genesis 2 said God planted a garden. And in the garden he put the man and the woman. 
And he told them that their job was to care for it and watch it, cultivate it. Stop for a moment. If you, if you listen to the Genesis story, you start to hear a lot of your primal instincts are planted right there. Your desire for order, for beauty, for bringing structure out of things that are totally chaos is a garden instinct. You didn't learn that. You were born with it. Your desire for innocence, to be, in a sense, naked in front of someone else, fully known by that person, and not to be ashamed of it, is a garden instinct. You didn't learn that. Not all species have it, but you have it. You were made that way. The desire for work that is meaningful, that produces something other people need, that raises the value of a community. You didn't learn that. didn't come from your parents. You were born with that. As a human being, it's a garden mentality. The desire for companionship, to know somebody fully and to be fully known by that person and embraced as such. That's not your brokenness. God put that desire there. The desire that you have to walk in union with God. I didn't say to be reconciled with God. Of course you'll be reconciled with him. It's the desire that you have in your bones to be absorbed into his being is a garden instinct. Augustine said he made us for himself and we're restless until we settle down in him. But if you keep reading the Genesis account, you find out not only what your primal instincts are and where they came from, you find out what went wrong. Serpent come into the garden and said to the woman, Hath God said, You can't eat from any tree? She said, No, it's not what he said at all. What he said was, we can eat from every tree except the one that's in the middle and we better not touch it or we will die. Well, she got it almost right and the serpent picked up on it and he said, you will not die. God knows that the moment you take that fruit, your eyes will be opened and you'll be just like him, knowing good from evil. Now, for the first time, Eve begins to wonder if it's not Eve who has changed, maybe it's God. Maybe God is not the benefactor I thought he was. Maybe there's stuff out there that he wants me to have, and he's keeping it from me. Maybe he's territorial. Maybe he's threatened. Maybe he's weak. And the fissure between the woman and her God has been created. From here, you guys, everything, literally everything went south. 
things that were once fully alive started dying. What was once innocence turned to shame. They ran and they hid themselves, not only from God, but from each other. What used to be companionship and a desire for community turned into isolation. They didn't sow each other's fig leaves. They sowed their own and they hid themselves. They were not even in the same place in the garden anymore. These two that were inseparable. What was once order and beauty and structure had turned to chaos. What was once freedom had become guilt. Now even God had changed. Maybe he's not who I thought he was. Maybe he is not someone to be run to, but someone to be run away from. Maybe I should hide from him. You see what I mean? You find out not only what you long for, but you find out what is wrong with this world when you go back to the story of the garden. Things turn ugly. Time is running out. Death waits for every soul. Like a cement floor waits for a falling light bulb. It's no surprise then. In John's version of the crucifixion. In the garden there was a tomb. Somehow an image of what used to be and what is. Matthew tells us that on the day Jesus was crucified, the women followed from a distance. And Mary Magdalene was one of them. Matthew says that when Jesus died, Joseph placed the body in his own new tomb. And he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance. And then he went away. But Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene sat Opposite the tomb. Oh, you got to get this image burned in your mind. Mary Magdalene, the Bible tells us, at one time had seven demons. Think about that. One of them will wreck your life. Seven of them will utterly destroy you. We know from other accounts that when a person is demon-possessed, they become self-destructive violent. They become profane. They live apart from community. People are afraid of them and they're afraid of other people. They hate people. They have no sense of the divine. They don't even like themselves. That's what one of them will do to you. Times that by seven and you start to get an image of the kind of life this woman lived until she met him. When she met him, He brought order out of chaos. Innocence out of shame. Freedom out of guilt. Life out of death. Beauty out of destruction. Community out of isolation. Once she was without God, but as long as he was alive, she felt like she was with him again, like maybe God knew her, like maybe 
She didn't have to hide anymore. So she follows from a distance. And she sits opposite the tomb. And he watches Joseph roll the stone in front of everything she had that died. Somebody told me once, when I hit 40, I needed to bury some pipe dreams. <laughs> I said, does that mean I'll never be in the NFL? <laughs> never be rich, never be smart, never be famous, never have it all together, never have one of them big places, never write a bestseller. It means I'll never do pretty much anything. <laughs> that I was hoping one day I would do. See, when you're younger, it's always next year, next game, next season, next job, next marriage, next church, next career. There's always the next, but when you get older, next backs up. And it gets inside of a tomb and somebody rolls a stone in front of it. I talked to a woman in our church who was walking next to her husband with a terminal disease. She said, Steve, it was as if on the day he was diagnosed, you know how physicians. We had four or five options. She said, it felt like I had a handful of cards. So in that first month, I played the first card and it failed. I played another one and it failed. I played the third card and the fourth one went away pretty soon. I was left with only one more card and it felt to me like God himself reached over and took it away. Now there was nothing in between me and raw fate. That's how it felt. Anything could happen, I suppose, only in this world, in this garden, it never does. It's how you feel. I'm not sure, but I believe everybody in this room either has or will find yourself in Mary's position someday, sitting opposite the tomb, wondering what died and if you'll ever get it back. So it is no surprise at all that in John's garden, there's a tomb. Another way to say that is around John's tomb. Is a garden. Not only is something dying, something all around it is coming back alive, but sometimes you can't see it. Because all you can see is a hole with a stone over it. You can't see everything else that God is doing. So when Jesus asks the question, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? 
The question is existential. He's not asking her what happened. He's not asking her what went wrong. He's asking her why she is crying. Baby, you're crying over something that hadn't happened. Maybe you're looking for someone who doesn't exist. Maybe the God you followed up to this point is dead because maybe he needs to die. And another one come alive. Mary, why are you crying? This is no cemetery. This is a garden. God is doing something brand new. He is creating life out of nothing. He is bringing innocence back from shame, freedom back from guilt, community back from your isolation. He is bringing joy out of despair. Mary, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Someone else is right behind you. Oh, what a story this is for me. What a story this is for me. Maybe we are not cursed. Maybe we are blessed. We just don't know it. Maybe the world is not dying. Maybe it's awake and it's groaning for the day of redemption. Maybe we don't need to run from God. Maybe he's right behind us and he knows us by name. Maybe God has not changed at all. It is we who have changed and maybe we're changing back. <laughs> it's a whole new story. Mary, why are you crying? What you thought hasn't happened. It's not the whole story. And the one you're looking for is gone. And another one has taken his place. Here's what I'd like you to do. Take a moment and locate, if you can, the thing inside of you that's dying. You ever wanted something and you realized one day you're not going to get it? Some of you, the way you deal with that is just bury it and move on. You'll want something else. But it'll come back and haunt you in your 50s. In your mind... Can you put it inside of a tomb and roll the door shut? What I'm asking you is, can you identify in a sentence the thing you hoped for that seems to be gone? Would you bow your heads? Can you find it? Can you find them?
You wanted innocence. You wanted justice. You wanted freedom. Independence. You wanted meaning, significance. You want to make a difference. Put it inside and close the door. Now wait there opposite the tomb. right with your eyes closed can you imagine one more scene you look to the ground and then in a moment you look up and the stone has been rolled away now it's not a question of what went in it's a question of what's coming out what went in was guilt what comes out is freedom. What went in is shame and what comes out is your innocence. What went in is a world that is dying and what comes out is a world that is coming alive. What went in was a dead religion and what comes out is the great I am. God is doing new things. Why are you weeping? Who is it that you're looking for? in your heart even if you cannot see it all right now can you feel the gratitude for what God is doing all around you can you praise him can you thank him just say God I thank you for everything that you're doing that I've missed (laughs) 